Welcome to That's Darm Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, specialty medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. This episode is sponsored by VC Educators. VC Educators offers in-office training and virtual bio coordinators to create a single point of contact for everything from prior authorizations to prescription acquisition and patient follow-up. To ensure your patients have the access to the medications they need, hire the right team to simplify your dermatology office processes. Visit bceducators.com. That's B-C-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-S.com. Patient access is our priority. Welcome to That's Derm Good. Today, my guest is Jason Zemzik. He is the head of product at Policy Reporter. Thank you for joining me, Jason. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So Mercalis, that's the new brand. So tell me, what is Mercalis? Yeah, definitely. Exciting news. A little over a month old. So it is our new brand. Formerly, uh, for many years, our company was TrialCard, pretty well known in the patient support services space. But the the rebranding was really an acknowledgement that over the years, uh, as our company has grown and evolved beyond just a copay card company, which we started out as, the name Trial Card was really limiting us in the market in that people mm. often didn't know that we were in the hub services space, uh, that we were into the payer intelligence space with one of the acquisitions we made, Policy Reporter, uh, the segment of the business that I've actually moved over to, Strategy Consulting uh, with Triangle Insights Group. So over the years, we've assembled this real end-to-end commercialization platform for life sciences, uh, but we're still kind of tied to the the trial card name in that people thought of us as just the copay card company. So it was kind of a, a long time coming, having to get a new name and uh, recognize who we become over the years. Yeah. So what specialties do you work in then? Is it all across just healthcare or? We do. So in terms of our customer base on the patient support services side, legacy trial card, uh, where mm-hmm. I grew up and spent a number of years of my career, Supporting pharmaceutical manufacturers with copay assistance, hub services across all therapeutic areas. We've worked in pretty much every disease state indication. In our policy reporter business, as as I mentioned, uh, which we work in payer intelligence, helping manufacturers understand how their products are covered and reimbursed, helping practice staff learn the same information for their patients, how patients Mm -hmm. are their path to coverage and and any restrictions they need to get past. In that area of the business, uh, we support primarily pharma, uh, but we also have medical device and diagnostic clients as well. And then, as I mentioned, with our strategy consulting business, uh, again, weighted most heavily in pharmaceuticals, uh, but across the the life sciences industry. Uh, So we we truly, again, over the years have really grown and and diversified Mm -hmm. in who we support. Wow, that's really neat. So this is probably a whole nother episode, but I heard you say um, copay cards and supporting manufacturers. There's just so much going on with the copay cards now, especially with insurance. And how do you navigate that? And how do you educate on what exactly an accumulator is and the maximizers? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. We could we could have another whole episode or probably mm-hmm. honestly another series on those topics uh, because they are so complex. They are so nuanced. And the, the biggest mm-hmm. thing that I come back to, because I, I dealt heavily in one of my previous roles, pretty much lived those topics on a daily basis, mm-hmm. doing exactly that, educating both our clients, our pharmaceutical manufacturer clients that were operating copay programs, as well as helping a number of patient groups understand Mm -hmm. how those um, tactics work so that they could in turn educate their patients. And so the biggest thing that I focus in on is just really the diligence to truly break down and understand all the complexities involved there. They're not simple topics. And to the average patient, you know, we see so many statistics out there about health literacy and the the level of understanding the average American has around, you know, what is a copay? What is coinsurance? What is my deductible? When you try to explain these things to people, I, I say all the time, if I did not work in this industry, I would have a very hard time understanding how they work. And so really trying to be diligent, be thorough. You know, I've heard this saying once, and I use it in a lot of areas of career, professional life, and just life in general, but get to the fifth why. And so don't just stop at, you know, a copay accumulator. It's this this thing with your insurance where a manufacturer coupon can't count towards your deductible. Well, why is that? And then you keep going, well, why, well, why, well, why? Truly helping break it down for people, helping them understand. That's that's one portion, being thorough in your education. The other portion is true advocacy through action. We can talk all day about these things and what they do and how they work. Um, but something that I'm, I'm incredibly proud of is having been a part of taking action. Uh, and organizationally, our company... There were two very significant court cases over the last two years around accumulators, copay accumulators specifically, Mm -hmm. and then another government drug pricing rule that would have affected copay cards and accumulators around um, best price calculation. And our organization actually filed amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs, uh, on behalf of the plaintiffs in each of those cases, and both of those cases were successful. That's I don't awesome. know how likely it is that you you can yeah you can be successful um you know litigating against the government but both of those cases the the rules were struck down in court so to me as I said you know leadership and advocacy through taking action you know mm-hmm. joining joining those efforts that's just one area you know over the years we've done so many things with various patient groups you know we've we've done educational seminars for HR groups employers you know mm-hmm. you think these are big and self-funded plans um, mm-hmm. and helping educate HR teams and people that are putting together their company benefits package to really understand what are the true implications of these for the patient who is our employee. I mean, I'm hoping that you know they don't only see this is a potential avenue to cost savings, but in reality, the effects that it has, the negative impacts they have on adherence, um, employee productivity, all of those things. So taking action, I think, is the, the other biggest mm-hmm. piece to really help in, in that area. Yeah, that's really amazing that you're able to go and help the offices choose what plans they're going to provide for their employees. Yeah, we we have. At the end of the day, yeah, when you think about an employer and, and you know, especially again on the self-funded mm-hmm. side, every company makes decisions on their benefits package and, and that's what they need to do. And, you know, we're, we're no different. But just helping companies make that decision with all of the information. And again, you know, going back mm-hmm. again, the fifth, the fifth why or the next level of saying, yeah. you know, what would happen if we put this tactic into place? Good, seem like it's good, but in the long run, it's not going to be so good for our employees. So yeah, I think helping them make decisions with the most 
complete information possible. Right. Yeah. So I want to talk about policy reporter, but I kind of want to hear your backstory. You're in the army. I was. Yes. Yeah, yes. Thank you for um, your service. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So interesting in that prior to joining this industry and coming into mm-hmm. then trial card, I spent seven years as an army officer. Um, I graduated from West Point and went to Iraq, served a tour in Iraq, served a tour in Afghanistan. And then when I left the military, obviously job searching and wasn't mm-hmm. sure what I wanted to do career wise. And um, just through networking and other former military members and, and West Point graduates that had made their way into the pharmaceutical industry and into healthcare um, and, you know, typical networking. I landed an interview with this company trial card. And so I started uh, educating myself on what they do and the rest, as they say, is history. So that was kind of my my avenue in. And I was very fortunate that the company had, and we still do have a number of military veterans. Um, And Mm. in the earlier days of the company, one of the recruiting models was actually to hire people like myself uh, that did not have industry background, healthcare Mm. um, knowledge or anything, but really um, on the intangible skills of, you know, taking initiative, leadership, problem solving and and basically Mm -hmm. to to sum it all up, you know, figure stuff out and get stuff done. And so um, that's that's how I got my opportunity. And, you know, here I am 12 years later now and having learned the industry and worked in in various segments of the industry. But that's never lost on me that I was given an opportunity without the, you know, so-called experience, but on the potential and and the skill set. So that's how I made my way here. Prior to that, you know, growing up, I had no aspirations of joining the military. You know, it really wasn't until junior year of high school, uh, my high school basketball coach. And it's one of those, we think back, you know, around people in our lives and conversations and just, you know, events that kind of significantly impacted the course of our life. It was one day after basketball practice and my, my coach who had a son, his son went to West Point uh, and our coach himself was was in the Army Reserve. And he just came up to me and he said, hey, you know, Zemsik, where are you going to college? And at that time, my only thought was University of Pittsburgh. Grew up near Pittsburgh and had a number of family members that, that went to Pitt and that was always going to be my plan. And I told him that and he said, have you ever thought about a military academy? Uh, and I said, no, as a matter of fact, I haven't. He told me, well, I think you should. Um, He said, you know, you have the grades, you're playing multiple sports, you know, and I was National Honor Society and Boys State and all the kind of leadership attributes. But, you know, when he said that, it almost knocked me over because I was (laughs) like, this is not me. I'm not, you know, wake up at five o'clock in the morning and and make your bed perfect and run and study and all these classes and everything. Like, I just, I didn't see it in myself yet at that point in my life Mm -hmm. at 17 years old. And again, thinking back to just being so grateful for things that have come my way in life. And so he just kept talking to me about it. And, and, you know, one thing led to another. I I went to a summer seminar at West Point for high school, rising high school seniors. And and at Mm -hmm. that point, it kind of clicked with me where I recognized, you know, I feel like I can do this. And if I don't take the chance or take the opportunity and attempt it, I'll forever look back and wonder, you know, what if or could I have? So yeah. Um, again, that's what got me into the path. But it all started with um, kind of someone seeing something in me that I, I didn't necessarily see or realize myself at the time. Mm. That's amazing, though, how how people can see see certain things in you that that you don't even think, you know, you wouldn't have that potential to do. And it just kind of kind of pushes you into a realm of just creating just a whole new experience. <laughs> 
It, it does. I mean, I think of everything in my life, both professionally and personally, and, and who mm -hmm. I've become and what's kind of, you know, emanated from that. I mean, it's been just kind of the core foundation of who I've become. Uh, and mm -hmm. as I look now, it's I, I chuckle a little bit because, you know, here I am not old by any stretch, but in our company, um, you know, I'm, I'm in one of the the bracket of one of the older, at least in terms of tenure <laughs> folks. And so now um, it's it's rewarding because and especially in, in the role I'm in now, um, I have I lead a team and I have the mm -hmm. opportunity to mentor and coach um, people that are earlier, some people that are earlier in their careers. Um, and that yeah. is incredibly rewarding to me, because, again, I think about um, where would I be had had people not done that for me. Um, mm -hmm. And so it is, you know, it's just one of those, you never know um, the impact that you can have on a person or that one, you know, how much one conversation or one interaction can, can change somebody's life. And so it's, uh, I definitely look at it as now as an opportunity to, to begin giving back um, based yeah. on the experience I've had. Absolutely. That's really, that's really amazing to hear. Um, so now that you're the, director or your vice president what is your I, role I at policy reporter yeah so i am i am vice president of product management um i lead our product group uh, we have a team of four product managers um they're obviously responsible each one of them for various offerings that we have um mm -hmm. we are as i mentioned we're in the we're in the market access intelligence space so tracking payer policy uh changes developments alerting our clients whenever coverage changes for a particular product or their new restrictions step edits uh being timely accurate in terms of getting that information out uh to mm -hmm. our customers and so each of our each of our team members um manages the product life cycle new features new enhancements uh for various offerings that we have and i kind of like to characterize it um and this this is not my original my my boss uh, a guy named peter weisberg who i know in a lot of the, the community and where that listeners are among or familiar with but he he mm -hmm. sums it up so well in that he when he talks about information um you bucket things as what so what and now what and so when mm -hmm. we think of our products that that our team is responsible for developing and evolving you know we have the raw information access to everything um on platform which is the, the policy documents and the, the what mm -hmm. the, the information um and the so what is we have a series of we call them payer landscape dashboards um, where you can do more in-depth analysis visualization compare your product's coverage uh relative to you know different geographies benchmark against other products and really get into the, the business analysis side of understanding how well are you covered or not um, and where are your weak spots. Mm -hmm. um, and then the now what is, is, as I talked about, the insights and strategy consulting and really advising our customers on where do we go from here? Uh, so for manufacturers, of course, that's, you know, their market access teams that are working to get uh, positioned with payers and, you know, negotiate contracts and get access um, for practice staff. Um, you know, that is, how do we help, you know, what are trends that we're seeing um, in terms of patient access or potential roadblocks to access and coverage, or what are challenges that there's that staff, um, you know, you think billers, coders um, that are having in terms of getting claims processed, getting reimbursed for products, especially when you think buy and bill and, you know, being mm -hmm. able to get, get uh, claims processed and everything. So that's the now what piece is taking all that information 
um, and being able to advise and, and educate and uh, provide their strategic insights. So as I tie it all back to our team, you know, it's a it's a tremendous um, privilege, quite frankly. We have some incredible, talented team members um, that span the whole, as I mentioned, I talked earlier about how I take um, particular interest in kind of mentoring some of the early career member team members. Um, but we mm-hmm. also have, and I'm, I'm even personally as a leader, I'm fortunate to have on our team, we have some very tenured um, team members that have been in, in both the healthcare technology space for a number of years, um, have been around product development for a number of years, um, and are also kind of internal mentors uh, within the team. So we have a, we have a good range of, of skill sets, mm-hmm. backgrounds, um, and it's a, uh, it's been exciting. Um, I'm about four months in, and it's uh, it's been an honor. It's been a privilege, and it's been very exciting. And I'm excited about where we're we're headed for the company. Yeah, that's exciting. So I was just talking with um, Elizabeth Johnson, yes, recently, and she had yes. mentioned policy reporter. So how does how does an office? Well, since I'm in dermatology, let's take dermatology office for example. How would a dermatology office utilize policy reporter. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So imagine, basically think of it as your tool for efficiency, time mm-hmm. savings. You know, you're seeing patients all throughout the day. They have mm-hmm. various different coverage. You know, this patient is with Aetna, this patient has Cigna, this patient is Blue Cross, so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to understand that patient's coverage, is a product covered? Um, are there restrictions in place? Is there, mm. for example, is there PA? If so, what are the requirements to get the PA approved? You know, how do we get it turned around quickly? And where that all comes back to is um, a couple things. One is, you know, just for true staff workflow and productivity mm. and efficiency, um, being able to use our tool and have all of that information in one place as opposed to having to scour the internet for all these different documents for different uh, insurers and looking up the forms here and there and everything, just being able to find it all um, in one place. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we have practice uh, staff clients that literally say it's, you know, the first thing I open up in the morning when I turn my computer on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the alert capability that we have, um, you know, you can get email alerts real time as changes are identified. That way, mm-hmm. if you, for example, you can, you know, particular product, um, you can set your your preferences to get alerts. And anytime there's a coverage change um, to that product, you're going to get an email notifying you. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one way. The other way is when you think a little more in terms of the, the overall operations of the practice inspiring or being able to drive physician prescribing confidence in the sense that a physician doesn't want to prescribe a product that they don't think the patient is ultimately going to be able to get access to. Um, Mm -hmm. So understanding for these patients, you know, this may not be the best choice of of therapy if there are multiple options, knowing that what we know about, you know, they have this insurance and this, these are typically the challenges we've seen. Um, and there may there may be a better option. Uh, so that's another in terms of, you know, running the practice efficiently is being able to understand, you know, prescribe, make wise prescribing decisions based yeah. on, you know, we like to a lot of physicians say, and I, and I certainly understand, you know, from a clinical standpoint, you know, the most clinically appropriate course of therapy, but in situations mm-hmm. where there are um, multiple options, um, right. the patient's coverage situation is is a very real component of making that decision. And that helps make it um, more efficiently by eliminating, you know, either 
delays in starting therapy or inability mm-hmm. to start therapy. Yeah. So does it integrate with the EMR system or is it just a separate platform? It, it is a separate platform. Okay. Um, we have, so in, in being in the product space, you know, that's something that we are considering. It's, it comes up from time to time, you know, is there ability mm-hmm. to integrate with, with EMR? Um, we do have API integrations with other, um, platforms that practices use for various things. When you think revenue cycle management or looking mm-hmm. at, um, other sources of financial assistance. Um, so that could potentially be, um, something that, you know, down the, down the road in the future uh, that we are able to accomplish. But for the moment, it, it, it is a standalone platform. Uh, you simply, you know, you log in. It's what you would typically think of with a web-based tool. Um, you know, your, your organization signs up and you have access and you log in with a username, password, and then you have a dashboard and various settings where, as I said, you can customize uh, the products that you want to search and get alerted on. Um, and it's pretty, pretty intuitive. That's really interesting. So that would make sense for, for biologics, but also for any other medications as well. So you can search any medication and, and get almost like a benefit investigation. Yes. Um, and especially when you think on the, the medical benefit side and, mm-hmm. and buy and bail products, uh, where, you know, that's typically in the market. Um, we do have a very strong reputation on the medical benefit side, but any publicly available payer document, uh, whether that's coverage or, or restriction criteria, um, mm-hmm. anything that's out there. Now, I will say, and we get this question from time to time, you know, self, you think about self-funded plans, they're not, you know, those documents are not going to be publicly available, employer sponsored coverage. Um, but mm. m- in many cases, those plans are largely, if not entirely, going to align with, with the national policy um, from, okay. the, from whoever the third party administrator is that that plan is working with. It's, it's ultimately administering uh, the plan. So yeah, any, um, any publicly available payer document that's published that's out there, mm. um, you know, you don't have to go search Google for it. It's, it's right there. Mm. And you search on just search the product and, and you'll find it. Yeah, that makes so much sense because now there, I feel like there's so many of these small carve out plans too. You know, like before it was okay. I know that United Healthcare and OptumRx go together. You know, who the PBM <laughs> is versus the plan. Right. And I think the other day I was looking. Actually, I've seen this a few times where it was like an Anthem insurance plan, and OptumRx was the specialty was the pharmacy benefit manager. And so, you know, that just kind of throws everything off now, especially when I'm trying to go and do a prior authorization and, you know, we don't have, say, a pharmacy benefit card. So I can't, you know, pull the exact form that I need. But now there's so many different changes. I can't, you know, you've got to have that card in order to be able to find the correct form for a prior authorization. And, you know, everything just kind of Everything that you've learned before now just gets thrown out the window because there's always some new changes to insurance. It's so true. In fact, I always talk about one of one of my go to sources. And again, when I when I kind of talk to people coming up and learning the the industry, at least in in, especially in our space and the, the vendor side and the the business side um, is the the Adam Fine drug channels. I call it the the chart. Um, mm-hmm. It shows, you know, the alignment, the vertical alignments of, you know, insurers and, and PBMs and specialty pharmacies and, and providers and all of those. To your point, you know, every year it gets busier and busier. The chart, there's more logos on it and there's more there's more mm-hmm. arrows and dotted lines and who's, you know, who has the relationships with who and everything. So 
Exactly to your point, you know, uh, uh, and I think of a staff and I just, you know, think of my own experience when I go into the, the doctor's office, um, mm-hmm. you know, the person that's working there, um, they could they, they have patients coming in throughout the day and they have, they have to work through patient cases and everything. And so, you know, a savings of, you know, five, seven, 10 minutes per patient in terms of not having to go out and research all of those documents and find them. You can do all the math in terms of the, the ROI and the business side of it, not to mention, obviously, again, the patient experience side of it. And you think mm-hmm. of, you know, we're all patients at, at some point um, and, you know, working through understanding coverage and, you know, being able to, to get that call from your physician and say, okay, we understand, you know, we're co- we know your product's covered. We know, you know, this is just make the experience where you're not having to deal with all of that. I think we've all seen the whole like, well, there's an issue with your insurance. Um, we're going to have to get back to you. And so just helping again, you know, have that information uh, to be able to more efficiently work through um, patient cases is, is extremely powerful for, for yeah. staff. Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, you are busy. You, <laughs> you are, you are on a list of top 40 under 40 uh, <laughs> for medical marketing and media. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Yeah. So tell me about that. What, what exactly, what do you talk about for medical marketing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, no, it was, I was, it was an honor uh, a few years ago. I, I did make that list. It's an annual list that, that MM&M um, puts out and they're just, you know, so many bright and, and, you know, successful and, and people, you know, doing incredible things across the industry. Um, you look at, you know, all aspects of the healthcare industry. Um, mm-hmm. I, the year that I was selected for the list, um, it's going back to, you know, we talk about the living daily, the, the accumulators, the maximizers. Um, mm-hmm. That was a extremely heavy year with those topics. I added up at one point, I think I was, you know, well north of 250 client meetings just on those topics alone. Um, and then doing a lot of that kind of was my sort of avenue into doing a lot of the conference type events, speaking presentations, you know, we were together at healthcare advocate summit not too long Mm -hmm. ago. And I did, I did two Mm -hmm. sessions at that event. Um, And so all of those things together um, were just kind of the, the basis for, um, you know, being able to, our, our company uh, was willing to nominate me um, Mm -hmm. and and they saw fit, you know, MM&M saw fit to, to put me on the list, which I I was incredibly honored Uh, again, you know, some of the people that, were there and that I've seen in subsequent years uh, that have, have made the list in, in years since then. Um, you know, I just look at and the things they're doing and it's, it's remarkable. Um, and it's just great. You know, whenever you have the opportunity to be among people like that, that are just, you know, really achieving and doing, doing new things, doing exciting things, you know, always trying to get better for themselves, for their organizations. Um, it just, at least for, for me personally, you know, that really gives me a lot of that positive energy. And I just, it puts me in a great frame of mind and wanting to be around this, those types of people. So yeah, I was, it was a great experience and I was uh, extremely thankful to, to have had that opportunity. Yeah, that's really, that's really exciting. So the talks that you discussed when you go to these conferences and panels and all of these things, are they all pretty similar as, or is it just a variety of different topics? For the most part, and up until very recently, uh, largely similar and 
company business related. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's we go to we go to conferences, we go to industry trade shows. You know, that's where, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, when you're trying to trying to grow your business and find new business opportunities, you you have to go where the people are. So obviously, mm-hmm. we have you know, like most businesses in our space, we have a heavy presence at, at industry events, and so our our presentations are largely to the point of showing knowledge, thought leadership, you know, expertise mm-hmm. in a particular area to, to make pr- prospective customers confident that we, we know what we're doing, we know what we're talking about and make them want to engage us um, to, to see how we can help them. So for the first several years, you know, those, all of my conference speaking and, and webinar presentation activity was, was centered around that. Um, recently, uh, as I kind of talked about earlier and sort of, I don't know if it's a, you know, a formal thing where you start to transition into like the next phase of your career and everything, but recognizing that, you know, I'm, I'm a few years beyond a decade of experience here and um, have the opportunity to, you know, try to help people that are wanting to make their way in, in the industry and, you know, get on the right path. And quite frankly, as I say often to our team members, you know, learn things that I learned sooner. Um, and so I've, I've kind of moved into in addition to, I still I still do you know a lot of the business related talks and, and everything on subject matter and topic areas, uh, but I've also moved into more broad career career growth, professional mm-hmm. development, personal development. You know, talking about what are what are some of the skills, not subject matter specific knowledge, but just the the skills. You know, how to find success in your career, how that intersects with you know your personal uh, aspirations and, and pursuits. Um, and we talked about Healthcare Advocate Summit. I, I did the, the career growth, career development session. You know, we have a emerging leaders program, which I think is, is fantastic here within our companies. We recognize mm-hmm. early career individuals that have high potential. And, um, you know, I've been I've been asked on a few occasions to, to be a panelist or be a, you know, be a participant in those. And as I said, you know, kind of mm-hmm. on one hand, I, I chuckle a little bit because I don't know if I'm, I'm getting a little, you know, gray hair here and there and everything and I'm older, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm incredibly, you know, I take it seriously because again, it's, you know, I'm in a position to be able to, to give back to mm-hmm. people in that way. So really it's a, you know, kind of as a good intersection of both, you know, still within our business, but also, you know, things that I'm personally passionate about in terms of, you know, personal growth, career growth, professional development, um, and how those things all tie together. Yeah. So I did see that you had a discussion that you had that I saw on LinkedIn, and it was talking about, you know, skills and career growth and things like that. So what are some of the skills that people should be looking for when they are trying to get, you know, change their career or figure out, you know, how to move up in, in their careers? Yeah, I think, um, so it's, yeah, panel, I think it was the panel you saw was Elizabeth and, and Melissa, yes. Lacey, people that yeah, I know, yeah. I'm sure you're all, you're very familiar with um, and our, our audiences here. Um, as far as career growth and just, you know, advancing your career, you know, I'll say that from my experience, there's been a couple things that have been the biggest drivers of that. Um, you know, the first is, and it's, it's difficult and you have to practice it, but the first is mm-hmm. just, raising your hand, you know, saying yes, getting getting yourself in the mix. Um, when I think back to, you know, I'll, I tell this story often, um, a huge turning point in my career was early. It was one of the earliest conferences that I went to. Um, I was not a presenter. I was just in the audience. And there was a gentleman who was um, 
you know, a fairly well-known expert in, in this part of our industry. And he had given his talk and um, I had a question in my mind and I was going to raise my hand and, um, you know, I started second guessing myself and uh, should I ask this? Should I not? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, what if people, what if I don't have my information right? They'll think, you know, I'll look silly or they'll think I'm trying to show him up and all that stuff. And it was interesting because when I think of my background, I said to myself, you know, I, went to Iraq, I went to Afghanistan, and I'm worried about asking a question in a conference auditorium session here with maybe 100 people. Mm -hmm. um, but I raised my hand, I did it, you know, the person starts walking over with the microphone, and I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I have to ask it now. <laughs> um, and it turns out I, I asked the question, and the gentleman said, you know what, I'm really not sure about that. I need to come talk to you after this. <laughs> and out in the hallway afterwards, so then I had all these people coming up to talk to me and who is this guy and what's his company and what is, what do they do? And, you know, one of our other team members that was there sent a text message back to our executives around, you know, Jason stumped one of the experts with his question. And to, to his credit, the, the guy handled it like a true professional. He's someone today that I'm friends with and, and I've talked to often. It got me my first conference panel moderating opportunity. And then I did wow. that one and I, I, you know, over-prepared for it. I wanted to knock it out of the park and that got me my first solo speaking opportunity and just, it grew from there. So the first thing that I say is just, you have to sometimes literally raise your hand, take on, you know, things that you don't totally feel comfortable with, you know, be willing to put yourself out there and get outside, you know, we hear it often, but get outside your comfort zone. The, there are two other things I would say are learning what I call learning how to be a professional. And that encompasses so much of, you know, what you say, how you say it, how you write, how you speak, when you don't say things, how you interact with people that are in different capacities, you know, learning to, as I call it, speak the language of, of executives and, you know, be able to un just understand your way around organizations and situations. And again, that comes with time. Um, mentorship is extremely important, you know, seeking out people that are examples, even if it's not formal, you know, this person is formally my mentor, but just finding people in your organization that you look at and say, you know, I would want to be like that person in three, five years, however long, um, you know, so that's another big thing is just that the professional learning professionalism, how you carry yourself. And then the final mm -hmm. one is, is networking. And that has been just a huge, huge thing for me. You know, we're, I'm on this podcast through networking. You know, I, I knew about you and right. I followed you on, on LinkedIn and then we met in person. And, uh, you know, when I think about it, a lot of people get a negative or a bad taste around networking and they kind of mm -hmm. just feel, you know, cringy. I have to go to these things and hand out my card and talk to people. And so I, you know, I try to look at it as find people that, you know, you can how can you help someone? You know, mm -hmm. it's not just exchanging, you know, business cards or virtual, you know, online exchanging, you know, connecting with someone on LinkedIn. It's mm -hmm. really cultivating the relationship. You know, how can I help this person? What, what do they do? And where are the points of overlap with what I do? Mm -hmm. And then offering to, you know, give before you ask here, I might be able to help you with this, or I could introduce you to this person, you know, just be genuine in wanting to form a relationship with people. And, you know, mm -hmm. I started really doing that, I would say, you know, midway through my career at this point, because I had the realization that I was doing well, I was I was moving up through our organization, but I really, nobody knew me outside of our own company. I didn't have a network, so to speak. And so once I, you know, I started doing that, and it, it takes time. Uh, if you do it, 
genuinely and you're diligent, you know, it certainly it takes time, but to build, establish and, and cultivate and maintain relationships, you know, that's how both personal and company opportunities happen. I was at a conference two weeks ago and I sat down next to a random lady I didn't know and just started talking to her. And the next thing you know, you know, it turns out she knew someone that works at our company. They were former colleagues and they had an opportunity within their organ. They're a pharmaceutical manufacturer and they were looking for patient support services provider. And, um, you know, in two weeks, we have a presentation in front of their company. And, you know, had I not sat down and talked to this person and had this person not known someone in our organization from many years back and kept in touch, you know, it's just there's multiple points of networking that ultimately resulted in our company getting a shot at, a, at an opportunity. So I think those are those are really the three things, you know, raise your hand, learn to be a professional and lean into to networking. That's really good. I'm over here taking notes. <laughs> I'm going to work at all these. <laughs> yeah, they've been tremendously helpful. Yeah. So you also write books about sports history at Pittsburgh teams? I do. Yes. So that's you know, my outside of work, you know, passion project, if you will. Although mm-hmm. I've, I've made, I say, you know, it, it pays me a little bit of money each month. I get a check from, from the publisher each month, but wow. not, uh, you know, not leave your, leave your job type money. But, um, you know, the real, it grew out of this, you know, what would you do if, if you weren't getting paid and all that? And my entire life, I've, I've been a sports fan. I grew up near Pittsburgh. And so just, you know, diehard Steelers, Penguins, Pirates, um, you see in the background there, the Pittsburgh Pirates helmet <laughs> and, and everything. So, yeah, for a number of years, I would always just say, oh, I'm going to write a book someday. And mm-hmm. similar, it's one of those, you know, well, at one point, I just said to myself, like, are you actually going to do it? So I had the idea for so long. My first book was about the story of being a Pittsburgh Pirates fan through my generation, which if anyone follows mm-hmm. baseball knows they were really good. Then and they were had a heartbreaking loss that kept them out of the World Series years ago. And then it got really bad because mm-hmm. all of their that all their good players went off to to higher paying contracts and Pittsburgh couldn't afford to keep them. And so they were really bad for a long, long time. And then just recently, they made it back to the playoffs and, and became good again. And now they're back, actually back in a down slump. But the story was, it was just the story of being, you know, from childhood to adulthood and living that whole experience of stay, sticking it out as a fan through all the tough years and how much it meant to the city and the fans to see them get back to being good and making the playoffs again and everything. But um, I had the story in my mind for for so long. But what finally kind of pushed me was I reached out to 30 people that I knew, friends, family, just, you know, 30 people. And I asked them if they would be advanced readers and reviewers of my book. And I told them the date it would be published. And so I said, you'll get a copy in advance. It will be published on this date. And I'd like for you to re- pre-read it and go leave a review. And what that did was it it put me on the clock, so to speak. It made me accountable. You know, I, I had all these people that were lined up to have my book come out on this day. And so that was the one thing that kind of got me over the hump from saying, you know, I'm going to do this someday to I did it. And then after that, it's, you know, kind of similar. I did the first one and then wrote another one, another one. So um, the other ones talk about, you know, similar experience with our, our hockey team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they've, they've won a few championships recently, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the history where they've won a number of Super Bowls. And just, um, as I said, you know, we all have things outside of our work and our professional lives that, that we love and that mean a lot to us. And so 
you know, it's, it's largely driven by that. But as I said, it has, you know, kind of taught me self-taught a little bit about just, you know, the business aspect of publishing and, and writing and getting into the, the book industry. Yeah. So do you feel like that has kind of helped create some work-life balance because it's something that you're also passionate about? But I mean, you seem like you're so passionate about the healthcare as well in that work, but how do you find that balance between work-life balance? So the short answer, yes, it, it does. You know, as I said, we all have things that I think can, you know, when we, have, when we are done working for the day or whatever that we turn our attention to. And for me, it's, you know, sports, it's physical fitness, it's my family, I have two children. And it helps, you know, that's just the natural, you know, we all do things outside of our, our jobs. But what I've also found is that there are so many points, like common threads among them. You know, the subject matter is going to be wildly different, nothing to do with with each other. You know, you think about the business of healthcare and prior authorizations and then, you know, being a, a dad to a 10 and a four year old, you know, you think there's there's nothing in common there. But so many of the, you know, intangible skills, if you will, around just, mm-hmm. you know, patience and communication and figuring things out and dealing with difficult days and keeping your composure and all of that. like those things are universal. And so for me, at least, and it's different for everyone, but work-life balance for me often, you know, it's, I find it in the common threads among all the things I like to do. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. when I was you know, writing, publishing books and, and, you know, kids are young and we have activities going on and everything and then coming to work each day, you know, a lot of it is, different topics, but some of the same skills. Um, and so that's, that's been big for me as I know it is, you know, at some point you have to, you have to have a way to just mentally take yourself out of, of work and not burn out and everything. And then the other thing too, is just, um, organizational culture, company culture, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work for a company that, um, it's one thing I think a lot, it's easy to say, but hard to do. In my experience over the years, and I talked to so many people within our organization that are, you know, quite frankly, are going to have tremendous opportunities. And I say, you know, that is very important to me, especially at the stage of life I'm in, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think we talk about, you know, your, your kids are young and it's just something's always happening. You either have activities going on or, you know, school stuff or somebody's always sick. It just seems, you know, it's just one of those things where you need um, the support of an organization that, you know, really, really lives it versus just talks about it. Um, and that's what I've experienced for more than a decade. Um, so yeah, it is, you know, finding that work-life balance it, it from day to day, month to month, it's going to look different, but definitely having those outside pursuits, but also being part of an organization that, that really, you know, kind of demonstrates it or is so important. Yeah, it is important. And I feel like sometimes that can be hard to find, but, you know, hearing, hearing your story is definitely very inspiring and encouraging. And hopefully that's encouraging others out there to, you know, find what they love and be part of something that is bigger and that, you know, you can, you can find so much joy in helping others and, and being an advocate for healthcare or just being an advocate in general for other people and finding, you know, what brings you joy. It it's true. And I say often, you know, especially here in our space, it's easy to get kind of bogged down or to get, you know, narrow focused in terms of you're making spreadsheets all day, you're doing slide decks, you're doing, you know, executive presentations or your mm-hmm. your board of directors needs information and all that. And that's all important, you know, but you to stop and think about 
the, you know, those are all a means to an end. You know, we're, we're in the business of helping patients access, afford, and adhere to medication. And doing those mm-hmm. things literally changes people's lives every day, uh, not just their lives, but their families' lives. And as I said, we're all patients at some point. We're all caretakers at some point. And, you know, the, the work that we do, trying to really see what are the impact, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, this financial analysis and modeling, and I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm so far removed from the, the desk in a physician's office where a patient is coming in, but thinking it through and saying, you know, the work that I do is helping this manufacturer be able to better get their product covered. And so mm-hmm. that patients that have that coverage are able to better access it or the work that we do developing our products and enhancing our, our platform here and policy reporter is going to help that practice, that office staff be able to better assist the patients that come in, give them better peace of mind um, in terms of, you know, we're, we're able to get you on the therapy that you need. Um, so it is important, but you have to you have to kind of really think through, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, you know, we all have careers, we all have livelihoods, we, we work you know, to earn a living, yes, but at the same time, doing that in a context and a capacity where you can see the greater good uh, is, is extremely important and is, I think, what keeps you going. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is so inspiring that you've talked about. And like I said, I've, I've literally taken some notes and I'm over here <laughs> thinking in my mind, like, all right, I need to work on this. I need <laughs> so much stuff to work on, but yes, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your service and thank you for all that you do. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, thank you so much, Janelle. Bye. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. You can expect new episodes of That's Derm Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.